people aren't searching for you. Mm. People are searching for a search term. And if you're not there and someone else is there with an equivalent product to the equivalent price, they are very changeable. That was a very prickly conversation to have. <laughs> you can train a horse. Unicorns, they're called unicorns for a reason yeah. because they're one in a, well, they don't exist. Welcome to Add to Cart, Australia's leading e-commerce podcast that express delivers all you need to know in the fast-moving world of online retail. Every week, Nathan Bush from eSuite and an e-commerce industry expert will share the news, research and insights that you need to know to keep you at the top of your game. And of course, keep your customers adding to cart. Hello and welcome to Add to Cart. My name is Nathan Bush, host of Add to Cart and director at e-commerce talent agency eSuite. Today's guest used to play in Wayne Carey's number 18 jersey at the North Melbourne Kangaroos, but... He's more well-known for having recently sold his retail media business, Citrus Ad, to publicists for a very cool $200 million. It's more than any AFL contract going around. Brad Moran is the CEO and the founder of Citrus Ad. They monetize the digital shelf of e-commerce retailing sites. Or, to put it simply, they take the old-school grocery shelf buying and they make it accessible for online retailers so they can make additional revenue from the eyeballs that they attract. And no doubt, they were a healthy acquisition target. Citrus Ad powers media sales and ad serving for more than half of the top 20 retailers around the world. This includes Tesco, Sainsbury's, Argos, Bed Bath & Beyond, and here in Australia, the iconic Woolworths & Coles. A couple of little names there. And as you'll hear from Brad, retailers can earn anywhere from an additional 5K a month to $10 million a month in revenue by making their website real estate available for bidding. Who wouldn't like a little bit of extra on the side? Now, apart from getting a great view on how Citrus Ad works, we go into depth on the emergence of Amazon in Australia, why category terms are more powerful than brand terms in search, and we talk about the chasm of death when it comes to selling the businesses you have founded. Sounds delightful, doesn't it? Now, before we get to that, I have two little announcements. Bear with me. At eSuite, we are excited to be leading a team in MI Academy's Hack Games, and they're going to be happening this week. The theme is mental health in the modern workforce, something we're super passionate about. So if you want to join the virtual stream and come to the grand final to see all the team solutions... And of course, vote for Team eSuite. You can register to join and attend the grand final for free on Thursday, March the 3rd at 1.30 p.m. Just Google MI Academy Hack Games and you'll be able to do your registration and come along and join in on the grand final fun. And the second thing, our e-commerce accelerator course is open for enrollments and commences March 21. If you are a junior in e-commerce and looking to take your career to the next level, Or if you come from other parts of retail like merchandising or project management and looking to get the foundations of e-commerce, this is the course for you. Head on over to esuitetalent.com.au forward slash accelerator. That's esuitetalent.com.au forward slash accelerator. And we've got heaps more info there. Better still, send this link to your boss. It's the perfect personal development. All right, let's get into it. Thanks to our partners, Shopify Plus and Signet. Here's our conversation with Brad Moran, founder of Citrus Ad. Brad, welcome to Add to Cart. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nathan. No worries. Where do we find you today? Uh, I'm at home, as I've been for the past three years. <laughs> I like uh, how you had to look at your watch for that. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot what day it is, what time it is, uh, and what month it is. Yeah. Uh, since COVID, it's all kind of blended into one. So it's been good because it's helped 
rocketed the business and being behind your desk saves you from jumping on a plane every five seconds. But, it, you know, you occasionally get sick of looking at the same four walls every now and then, change the paint color and, you know, wallpaper and the new desk and new screen every now and then is always, is always nice. Yeah, exactly. So, no, well, we, we caught up, would have been three or four years ago now, obviously pre-COVID, and your world has just exploded since then. So I'm really keen to, to hear more around what that looks like. But for those who don't know Citrus Ad, Tell us what Citrus Ad is and how you came up with the idea. Citrus Ad is basically Google AdWords for retailers, retail e-commerce. So what we've done is basically monetize the digital shelf of e-commerce retailing sites. So retailers have been very, very good for many decades now at monetizing their in-store shelf space. So iLine, NCAPS, they know that the visual placement of a product in the store is linear to the sales that it generates. And the brands know that too. So the brands pay a significant amount of money for middle shelf, if you like, in, in grocery is a good example. And then where we identified a gap in the market is that when e-commerce started to become more prevalent and, and much larger in, in, in sort of saturation, retailers weren't quite prepared to monetize their online shelf space as well as their in-store. A lot more dynamic, a lot more technology needed, um, and so as these retailers were building out these, you know, retail technology teams, you know, they, they weren't quite there yet in terms of being able to monetize their online assets. So in short, what we do is we allow, you know, Pepsi, Coke to bid and compete for top spots on woolies.com when someone types in soft drink. So very similar to Google AdWords in terms of buying sponsored links at the top of the page according to search terms. Um, and then obviously the product goes into much more depth than that, but at a high level, that's ultimately what we do. That gives retailers a nice source of revenue. Um, and in particular for the grocery clients where we started and cut our teeth, and I'll talk about my previous business in a minute, grocery retailers hemorrhage cash when it comes to online because they've spent the last 10 years optimizing the in-store uh, checkout process where they've basically eroded you know, 5,000 people from the checkouts and made it all self-checkout where you basically go in, fill your own basket, check out your own, scan your own products, grab your own bags, do your own fulfillment. So now with online e-commerce, it's the total opposite. So they've got to pay someone now to go and pick your order for you. Then they've got to pay some refrigerated truck driver to, you know, rent his truck and then deliver it to your door. So it becomes a very, very unprofitable exercise which only exacerbated the need to try and monetize online and get some of that revenue back yeah so you know a lot lot of problem sort of solving there in terms of the overall market and then we just saw a gap where we were we were obviously from an e-commerce background so we built an e-com platform before citrus in another life and we saw firsthand the pain points that retailers had with cost and we saw the pain points that brands had with having no visibility or control over where their product placements were online. So Yeah, it makes sense. So that's kind of how we came up with the idea. So we're talking like if we really dumb the product down, I know there's a lot more depth to it, but we're talking about say your Woolworths or Dan Murphy's and you've got a category or a subcategory page being able to push up results based on revenue or ad spend from your suppliers or put promotional banners on those pages. Yeah, pretty much. The algorithm is very tweaked towards what the retailer wants. So over the past five years, we've learned what we thought retailers needed and what they actually wanted. <laughs> Two very different things. But it, but typically, it was created as an auction where we would choose the most relevant products to go to the top of the page. So there'd be 15 brands competing with over 100 products, all competing for the word 
bottled water, for example. And then we would calculate, okay, who's got the highest cost per click and who's got the most amount of organic sales, who's most likely to get clicked on, give them a relevancy score, and then we would present them in relevancy order back to the retailer. They would then present them online. People click on them as their clicks get generated. The retailers then make money from the clicks. So, Gotcha. And these retailers, I'm assuming very good retailers, but probably not don't have the skills or the technology from a media organization or, or media platform point of view. Do they have to set, set the pricing and manage kind of the ad spend and ad schedule? Yeah, that's been one of the evolutions of the product over the past four years was starting off with very much a buoyant auction-based, very dynamic and that was a shock to a lot of retailers. And we thought, you know, that we were going in and just recreating Google and Google had the model perfected as did Facebook, as did you know, LinkedIn and Instagram. But retail was not sold like that. It was sold on a tenancy basis. You know, you buy this spot, particularly banner ads because sponsored products weren't really around four years ago. But they would buy banner ads for, you know, this particular subcategory, whether it be red wine, and they would buy it for a week or two weeks, rough estimated impressions, but there would be like a very, very set price. And so, you know, we kind of started off in that very, very dynamic bleeding edge technology where Amazon was and then slowly worked our way back to actually this is where retailers are really at now and they would probably rather sell these spots on a what we call a fixed tenancy basis while still obviously incorporating all the relevancy and the algorithm and the costings and stuff. But ultimately what that does is it puts more control back in the retailer's hands as opposed to having this very dynamic, very fluid auction that they have no control over. Uh, or if at least they do want to have control, they've got to be very, very technical in how they do it. So so we, we offered a very niche product. And, and, and even though retailers were very savvy at selling media and have been for years on print and email and banner ads to a lesser degree, even though most of them still operate in spreadsheets when trying to work on those kind of calendars. But even our new inventory management tool is basically a glorified it's a very sexy calendar view that lets you break down per ad spot, per search term, like all your inventory and it just lets you book it out basically for the whole year. So, but yeah, it, it's been an interesting ride. We've learned a tremendous amount from retailers and then we've just tried to adapt our product to what they want. So we've tried to look at it from their point of view as opposed to trying to shove our product down their throat. And we sort of said, okay, well, why aren't you buying it? to start with that was the first challenge and then okay why aren't you using it as much as we thought you would and then you know once you get past those two questions you start to realize that hey a lot of the clients resisted early days because of our pricing model Mm -hmm. we we took a rev share and then we realized that even though the rev share was competitive we thought it was it was coming off the the bottom line of the merch teams Mm. so that, that that was a very prickly conversation to have <laughs> it doesn't matter how much value you're adding when you're seen as a cost of their revenues it, it's, it's not it's not a very well uh, like scenario and so when we turned to a SaaS model where where we were just a technology cost it was a different pnl altogether okay and we, we went to the technology pnl merch team mm. don't even care about us anymore so so those little things and then just the way that we've changed the way that we work with retailers so you know we we know that retailers like to sell things with forecasted predictability. Um, They don't want to do too much manual work, but they also don't want to give too much control over to their suppliers. So it's finding that nice balance between what suppliers want is real-time reporting, hands-on keyboards, and the ability to see like a single pane of glass 
where they can actually view that the media they spent actually went somewhere, mm. you know, and they can see which products are performing, which ones aren't, you know, what incremental market share they've got. So that's their primary goal. And the retailer's primary goal is to generate an income, n- not lose complete control over their site and make sure that the, the relevancy of the products and the banners that are being surfaced are complementary to the consumer experience, right? So if you can achieve both of those at the same time, then you've kind of got a winning model. And have you seen some of the retailers that you work with starting to generate significant revenue channels from this media and advertising channel that it's really getting taken notice of by boards and, and you know, leadership teams? Definitely. We have a lot of different clients though. So we, we'll have clients that are happy generating 5, 10K a month in, in ad revenue because that's just about the size that they are. Mm-hmm. And then we have some clients that are generating five to ten million a month in ad wow. revenue. So, so there is a quite a disparate difference, but it all depends on the magnitude of the retailer, right? So you look at someone like a Target who's doing close to thirty billion AUD in online sales a year, versus even the local giants here, which are around four to five billion. So there's still a you know it's, it's horses for courses, but I think that the common rule of thumb is that the product can still be used by smaller retailers. It's just on a smaller scale. Mm. And so when we changed from a rev share to a SaaS model, we catered for small retailers as well as the enterprise level retailers and try to make the integration that much you know, easier so that they could all, you know, kind of all use the platform at various levels of size. So, yeah, I think that there's, there's still a lot more to be made in retail. And I think that, the, the on the on-site piece, what we call retail media, is basically just the on-site. So on on website or on digital mm. touch points. Retail media as a whole is much bigger than what we just provide. Um, it's it's off-site. You know, it's you know offline channeling, in-store screens, print is still very prevalent in Australia and around the world. Um, so there's a lot of channels that are still yet to be touched by our platform um, yeah. that a retailer's got to handle. So yeah, still yeah. It makes a lot of sense, especially for those omni-channel retailers who have a website and they have huge amounts of traffic because they might have 100, 200, 1,000 stores and they get a lot of traffic onto the site who are never intending to buy online. And if you can carve some revenue out of those customers who use online without intending to shop online, then that's a brilliant opportunity for additional revenue, right? Yeah, that's definitely one angle. I mean, one client that we work with is very open about the impact of online clicks to in-store sales. So, I mean, I mean, Woolies are fine because they publish this stuff with their cartology case studies. So, I'm not talking out of school when I talk about Woolworths. But they know their data very, very well. And they know that the majority of the clicks online, I'm talking like three quarters of the clicks online that don't convert into online customers, convert into in-store customers within four days. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty powerful. So even when you think about, this is more for brands to think about their investments because the brands automatically just look at, okay, impressions, clicks, sales. What's my equation on return on investment? Mm-hmm. That then determines how much they spend and what value they see that they're getting out of it. But you know, some of the statistics that we're seeing out of retail now is what impact this has on in-store sales. So, you know, when someone buys anything in-store, the first thing they do is look online first, right? So, yeah. they're doing their research there. And maybe they convert there, but the majority of the decision-making is done while, while browsing the, the internet, while browsing the website. So, 
Yeah, I think that is definitely one thing that we've learned over the past four years is that uh, whilst retailers are very not very forthcoming with their with their data, um, <laughs> we've sort of dragged a bit out of them over the past you know uh, two three years on okay, what what sort of impact is this happening in store? Yeah. And then when they run their own retail media programs now, um, and we more act as the facilitator and the technology company they're the ones who are out pitching to the brands to say this is what impact it's having, so this is why you should spend, which is why you see click prices on a lot of these retailers now exceed the price of the product. Mm. So you'll see like a product that's worth 3 or $4 and the click price will be $5 because they know that it's actually an acquisition. Yep. It's, not, it's, not, it's not just a one-click conversion. It's an acquisition of that customer that then comes back and buys a product continuously then for the next year or so, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, l- lots of interesting hidden stats that we've started to unravel over the past, you know, five years that, are, that we never thought would be there early days. So we, 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 we imagine they would be there, but they weren't easy to come by. A lot of these corporate entities don't want to give away any of their statistics. So, mm. But we hear from brands and we hear, you know, the impact that it's had and, you know, some of them have been super surprising on the impact that, that these sponsored products have had. Right now, online retail is changing rapidly and it doesn't look like it's slowing down and maybe it never will. So when retail changes, you change retail. Sell at the speed of change with Shopify Plus and grow with demand, on demand, using a commerce platform that can handle up to 10,000, that's 10,000 transactions per minute. For bigger business at startup speed, visit shopify.com.au forward slash plus to learn more. That's shopify.com.au forward slash plus because the future belongs to the fast. Is there a use case that you've come across that has surprised you in the way that they've approached or used Citrus Ad? Yeah, look, I think from a, from a retailer perspective, you kind of always intend for your product to be used a certain way. But then every now and then you, you get retailers that, that that use it as a sort of like a CMS, mm-hmm. you know, so not really as an ad platform as we would intend for it to be used, but more of a an effective, easy to use. Because what we, what we pride ourselves on is the UI. So it's very, very intuitive, easy to use. So anyone could sort of click and, you know, create an ad and, and launch it. And, and then what we pride ourselves on is the dynamic, real-time results so every second your results are there so if you place an ad on bullies.com you'll see the results instantaneously online that wasn't just solving a problem for brands that was solving a problem for retailers too so you know we found that they would push a lot of their private label products mm-hmm. so significant amount of revenue were generated from own brand putting them to the top of the page even though it was kind of detrimental to the overall yep. uh, paying brands um, so that was something that we saw happen a lot and then from a banner perspective, you know, we, we would make it a little bit easier for them to load banners into the system and, and have, you know, market share allocation. So I want this brand to have this amount of impressions on this particular search term for this month. And then we would just provide a system that would allow them to do that in a very easy, scalable fashion. So it almost become like an internal tool. Mm. So what it was intended for was actually just being used by the internal teams at the retailers, which is fine, which is which is great. So that's what we probably were, didn't really expect on the retailer side, but, but it's great because it's enabled us to learn more with them about how to make their life more efficient. And then also on the, on the brand side, you know, we've had some awesome case studies where 
sponsored products alone are very, very effective. You know, even one of our very first customers, Dan Murphy's, when we first launched them four, four years ago, we launched with Moa Hennessy, you know, with, with their vodka brands and even a premium vodka on Belvedere. You know, you'd think, okay, pushing that to the top of the page, in some cases, not everyone's going to buy a $65 bottle of vodka, right? It, it, because it's, it's, it's premium. But in one month, they took 6% market share. Because we could see that we had the stats, like we could see their sales and then we could see, okay, is it just an increase in their sales or is it a decrease in other people's sales? And we saw that all the other brands decreased. And we built a case study off. Obviously, we, we left it very much. We didn't say who the other brands were or what products they were, but all in the same category, all in the same kind of price range. And we were, not that we did not expect it, but it was that when one of our first big launches and first big brands to work with, we were, we were very surprised on how much that first row infiltrates or, or influences mm. the purchase. So most retailers would tell you that that first spot represents about 29% of clicks. That first row, about 50 to 70% of clicks depending on the industry. And that first page of results, it's about 85 to 90% of all sales come from the first page. So it's not hard to believe when you think about Google and no one really scans past the fifth sponsored link, yeah, right? Yeah. But but that's the kind of audience you're dealing with. You're dealing with a convenience-based audience. And one of the other fascinating things that people couldn't get their head around because we'd have this argument a lot with the big brands early days about um, you need sponsored products. And they would say, no, we don't. We have X brand. We have market share bigger than anybody else. And everyone just goes to the website to search for us. So we said, okay, no worries. So we'll get all your competitors on. And then slowly but surely, we ground, I won't say who it is, but everyone can probably guess who it is. It's, it's in, you know, soft drink. No, it's a soft drink company and liquor. And slowly over 12 months, their market share just, just got eaten away, about 15% over the course of a year. And then all of a sudden, a year two, like, oh, so we probably need to use this sponsor product thing. And uh, it, it, the point I was getting to is when we looked at, the top 100 search terms, if we just take grocery, for example, out of the top 100, there were only two search terms that were brand names. And the first one ranked at 93, and it was Coke. Obviously, you know, mm-hmm. you think Coke would be in there. Yeah. And the second one was Gatorade, actually, um, which yeah. I was quite surprised by. But yeah, so out of the top 100, people, people assume that consumers go to their websites and start typing in brand names, and brands assume that too. I think, oh, people are searching for my product. But we work in the industry and I guarantee if I put you on the spot and said, name 15 grocery brands, mm. you'd struggle after about the first three. You have to start really thinking. Yeah. So when you're on a website, the first thing that comes to mind is water, milk, bread, eggs, mm. soft drink, lemonade. You know, So you don't start thinking, okay, what brands do I know? Yeah, Shreps, yeah. You know, do I know how to spell Shreps? No, so... So people's habits actually very much surprised us. It's great because it matched the business model and what we told investors it would do. <laughs> but um, it was really That's pleasing convenient. to sort of see. I oh, know, yeah, it was convenient for the business model. Um, but it just reiterated to the brands that people aren't searching for you. Mm. People are searching for a search term. And if you're not there and someone else is there with an equivalent product to the equivalent price, they are very changeable. Mm. I think it's a great lesson, especially some of those stats that you shared around just paying attention to how you're ordering your product on those pages because it is so critical. So even if you're not using advertising, 
to making sure that you're putting high margin product, high availability product right up top because there's nothing worse than wasting that space. Oh, exactly. I mean, I'm talking in a B2B environment, right, where people, where brands are fighting for that top spot, but it's no different to B2C. Yeah. You know, B2C, if you're, if you're selling, if it's Nike.com selling Nike products or, you know, the local version of Nike selling their own products, it, it's really important to know that the online shopper very rarely scans past the first page. Now, with the exception of, say, fashion, mm. you know, we know, we know with fashion, unlike FMCG, with fashion, people will generally make 28 different clicks in a session. Wow. Because we were thinking, okay, everyone's going to have a click-through rate of like 2 to 2.5%, conversion rate of around 50 to 60. Get into fashion, it's like conversion rate of 1.5%. You know, what they do is they're basically analyzing 28 different pairs of shoes before selecting one. So, yeah. you know, all, all it did was just change the economics. So, so the click prices went from being a dollar to the click prices went to be 10 cents because of, you know, it just wasn't getting the return on investment. But overall... You know, there's a general rule of thumb that if you're if you're not putting your high margin, high selling products at the top, you're either going to run into out of stock issues as a B two B and B two C retailer. You're going to run into profit issues. Mm. Simple science, really, when you think about it. Spot on. And tell us, how is Citrus Ad integrated with platforms? You, you mentioned that some people are using it as a CMS, but I'm assuming most are integrating it into existing e commerce platforms. Yeah, so we'll always integrate into the e commerce platform. When I'm when I, when I talk about us replacing the CMS, it's really just instead of a company using like Magento to upload their content and just going actually we'll just make this banner content here mm-hmm. uh, a call to Citrus because the Citrus platform is easier to use than the Magento platform right for uploading content. Typically though, it's, it's a it's a server side integration which was the way that we designed it so that it's nice and quick. Yep. Speed is obviously paramount to these retailers they want ads in milliseconds as opposed to seconds as you don't want that page load and then a second later the ads load right it's a very poor experience so that was our kind of number one technical tick off when we first built the product but it's a very straightforward api you know just like they would use search engines fred hopper you know all that type of stuff it's a Web page loads, front end, the website talks to the back end. The back end makes a call to Citrus. We return product codes um, and then basically the retailer chooses in which order they want to put those product codes. So lots and lots of rules that they can generate and create on their side. And a lot of retailers, what we find these days, request more ads than they need. Mm -hmm. So they'll request 20 ads even though they might use five and then they'll choose which five they want to show. Gotcha. But we're okay with that. You know, we, we know that every retailer wants to have influence it in the way that they do it so we're really just there to try and help retailers with the core infrastructure of ad serving and as ad serving becomes more and more prevalent over the next five years we're just the building blocks to help them you know kind of get in the game get on par with amazon and ebay Mm. and then give yourself a fighting chance to you know to work with your suppliers and actually generate a decent amount of profit because this is profitable revenue. This isn't sales revenue operating, you know, at a one percent profit yeah. margin. This is this is all cream, right? So, you know, that, that's uh, it's effectively that business model now. Yeah, and, and I think what we've seen in the US, we've obviously seen that huge move for retailers moving to ad serving. You mentioned there, Amazon, eBay, but we've also had like Walmart, Best Buy putting a lot of uh, investment into this as a revenue channel. How do you compare where Australia is at to what you've seen overseas? So there's there's two there's two things to that. Like if you look at 
the US market is a very outsourced market. So whereas Australia is not so much. And what I mean by an outsourced market is every one of our clients outside of the US just buy our technology and then they run it themselves. In the US, we have over 100 retail media sales and, and operations staff where we basically take on the whole retail media program for them and we, we run it end-to-end. So we go and talk to the brands, we sell to them, we load the ads in, and at the end of the day, all we do is just cut the retailer a check. Mm-hmm. So where I was going with that point is that one of our major competitors had been in that market five years prior to us. And, and that's probably why the US is five years ahead because Amazon obviously was the catalyst. Amazon's a big beast in the US. Obviously, they're a bit further ahead there than they are here. But the catalysts for change happened in the US far quicker than they did here. So BookLogic, which was our original competitor over in the US, they you know, used a JavaScript technology to kind of paste ads on a site, normally at the bottom, and then they kind of moved their way up to the top once they realized that the relevancy aspect was so important. But that market was just educated far quicker than that in the market here. Like in the market here, we were doing the educating. So when we started, it was, it was very much an educational thing. Five years on, I would say that the retailers that have, have done it well, you know, the Coles, the Woolworths, the Officeworks, the Iconics, the guys that are really invested in retail media programs are on par with the US guys. You know, pound for pound, probably bigger, better, I think because they control it themselves. You know, so the retailer always owns the power in the relationship. Now, they shouldn't abuse that power, but they definitely own it. In the US, the problem is when you have an outsourced team looking after everything, we lose a bit of that power because we're not the retailer. So we're having to sell on, sell on like features and benefits, which is the way you should be selling. But often, you know, here a retailer will say, well, that's the price and you don't know whether you like it or not. <laughs> so, so, I mean, kudos to the retailers for building that level of uh, authority. But, um, but that's also an advantage for the Australian retailers too because a lot of the industries here are duopolies, whereas in America and overseas, a lot more competition, a lot more fragmentation in the marketplace. So, I, I would say that, yes, the US is ahead, but only because the technology was readily available to them five years ago and they've been doing it a bit longer and Amazon and eBay have been educating these brands. And so the brands go, well, I'll do that over there on Amazon. I might as well just do it on Target. You know, it's, it's, really not, it's really not that hard. So Australia's getting there, though. I think that, I think that COVID definitely helped shift the focus back to e-commerce. I think there was a bit of a, I wouldn't say complacency and I won't name the retailer, but there were, there were retailers in Australia where just before COVID, they were, I mean, you can talk to this too because you've been on the retail side. E-commerce was sort of this section of the business where it wasn't profitable and, you know, what we're going to downsize. Mm. You know, try and try and try and outsource as much as we can, and then COVID hit, and then all of a sudden it was actually we can't throw enough money at this area of our business. So, so it was really a tale of two sides in 2020. It was at the start of 2020. A lot of retailers, a lot of tech teams and retailers were facing an uphill battle. You know, yeah. you know layoffs and outsourcing, and and then come yeah. midway through 2020, and, and and it was, hey. Chief of e-commerce, um, <laughs> kind of need your help. <laughs> How much money do you need? And here's an open checkbook. And uh, yeah. 
it was a bit like that and and, uh, and globally it was a little bit the same but people look at our business and go oh you know covid really helped you guys and you kind of skyrocketed and like to be honest if we'd have had all of our 95 clients onboarded before covid happened i would agree with that statement mm. but we're a we're a b2b sales operation and and so most of our clients were signed in the back quarter of 2020 and in the first quarter of 2021 and when covid hit you know, even Woolies and Coles had their staff from Woolies X out in the fulfillment centers picking orders, and like everyone was, right? They were just hands mm. on deck, right? Massive Do scramble. whatever it takes to, yeah, to, 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 just to keep up. So we had not only, we had a huge influx in, in, within the first two weeks, and then every website just crashed. So then we went like three weeks without any revenue. <laughs> and then we had this six month lull of retailers just didn't have time to talk to you because they were so focused on what does this mean for our business, you know? Are we ever going to be able to open stores again? Like I've got no time to think about this monetization product. Yeah. Towards the end of the year, when things started to settle, then we I think we had about 25 RFPs in one month hit us. So Far out. Yeah, it was kind of a bit of a catapult. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And you um, just you talked about the last couple of years, but going forward, I, I saw a quote from you that said Australian retailers have a twelve month window to deliver retail media platforms. What do you mean by that, and and why the urgency over the next twelve months? Do you think we knew that that was definitely going to be a, a question, and and you know unpack that you know statement <laughs> that should try and light a fire in Australian retailers. Um, <laughs> You know, to, 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 no, to no benefit to us, of course. You know, it's completely you got, you got unbiased. You've got to give the clickbait, don't you? You know, give you the people something to write about. Exactly. But the reality is if, if you – and stay with me because I'm going to go on a bit of a journey here. But what we've talked about is brands gravitating towards, you know, be, they're, they're way more sophisticated these days than they were five years ago. And, and they think about retail media globally now. So you've got these global teams, P&G, Unilever, all the agencies are now thinking about this on a macro level. And so retail media is, is the first place that, that a lot of brands think about spending their money. So it's, it's the lowest funnel. So it's, it's the mm. most effective place that they can put money. Once they've exhausted it, because it's not a big channel, and in the reality of things, we like to think that we're Google and Facebook and we, we're super relevant, but we're super small Like yep. when you think about it. But it's the first place that brands put their money. So importance, tick, right? So what they want though is they also want the transparency. So it's not just about the, the, the spend. It's also about the, you know, the results, it's the connectivity to the outside web. And these are the things that Amazon and eBay do really well. So they've got the on-site advertising going and they've got the audience extension going so when they leave the site they're very clued up about their audience and who they are and the lookalike mm. audience so you can see the importance of retail media on site is not just about having sponsored products on your site and you're done it's it's about it's just the focal point for the entire ecosystem to build from because ultimately your website is is your piece of real estate and then you want to control everything while people are on there, but then you also want to make sure that you're keeping track of people when they leave your site. And so you you, you have to build now this, this fairly comprehensive ecosystem of technology in order to compete with these bigger guys. Okay, so that said, so we've, we've established that Amazon and eBay are the market leaders. And spoiler alert, if you haven't already realized this, Amazon is an ads business, you know, not a retailer. You know, they, they were a retailer once upon a time, 
but the retail aspect is the Trojan horse. So Amazon is building fulfillment centers that are the size of cities out in the western suburbs of Sydney. This is all public knowledge, but they're going about it nice and quietly. Mm-hmm. They're not disturbing too much. They're making you know real big inroads yet because everyone's like, oh, well, there's still only a small percent of the online market share for now. Mm-hmm. So what we're predicting and what, with, what the analysts are really predicting is that Amazon are going to own roughly 30% of the domestic retail market within five years, you know, give, give or take. Hmm. But what that means is that because of their sophistication in the ads side, they're probably going to own at least 30 to 50% of all the ad revenue because mm-hmm. they're very good at explaining the value of the ads that they produce and the ads that end up kind of branching off Amazon to bring people back onto Amazon. So the value that they provide to brands is significantly better than most retailers around the world because of the amount of data that they have, right? And is that for stocked products as well as non-stocked products? That's, is that general advertising or is it only product-based advertising? Yeah, it's probably advertising across the whole. So once Amazon de- generates that critical mass of traffic, it, mm. it will start to become the discovery point like it is in the US. So the so first point is Amazon's using a discovery tool. And that's discovery is the first place where you influence. And if Amazon can convert because they've got better shipping or, you know, Amazon Prime, which is obviously a very, very big business as well. So the thing with Amazon is they have so many different touch points in your life now that they're, they're building an ecosystem much like Apple did. So if it wasn't just the, you know, Apple device that got you, it was the iTunes, it was in the iPad, the, you know, the Mac, the, you know, all the different touch points that Apple had in your life. It was very, very hard to get out of their network once you're in it. Amazon is no different. And so when we put that timeline on, we were working back. And if we, if we say one more statement before I get into the timelines, like once Amazon has that magnitude of ad spend, which is basically pure profit, what that's going to do is just continue to fuel its explosive growth. Mm-hmm. So they're going to continue to lower their prices and cut Australian retailers off you know, one by one by offering faster shipping, better value add, and lower prices because it's going to be subsidized by the ads business, which is so successful. Can I just can I just remind you that we're here to inspire um, people to create their e-commerce business? <laughs> Look, I'm just set, uh, that's why I said hang with me for a minute. All right, yeah. no, no, uh, it, it, it's it's all making sense. Given the chance to create my own packaging, I'm not sure I'd be able to refrain from creating a box with my winking mustached face all over it. But for the team over at Likaloo, who sell premium gin and whiskey tasters, discretion was key. During COVID, their orders increased tenfold and made their delivery items hot property for hot hands. This is why they switched from padded mailer bags to Signet's own bubble mailer bags. And along the way, reduced their packaging costs by 30%. It allowed Likaloo to keep up with orders, save costs and uh, stop the looting. Visit signet.net.au forward slash blog to find out more. So if we think about what we've covered is Amazon's an ad business, looks like eBay. They're growing the Trojan horse over the next five years. They will represent 30% of retail, whether you like it or not. Maybe more, hopefully not more though. And they're going to capture a significant amount of that digital ad spend, mm-hmm. right? So, so, so there's some of the facts. 
which I don't go toe to toe with anyone and argue with, right? I mean, I don't like it as much as the next guy because I don't like these international conglomerates coming into Australia and basically dominating the Australian market. Mm. I'd love to see the government put in, as they do, because they government backed us, but I'd love to see the government giving subsidies to you know, retailers like Woolies and Coles to adopt local technology like ours or DAC Amazon equivalents, you know, like they do yeah. in China, right? It's it's a well everyone looks at China and goes, you know, oh they're they're separate to the rest of the world. What China has done is they've they've protected themselves from capitalistic massive conglomerates coming in and taking over their country. You know, so so you gotta you gotta respect that and what they've mm. what they've done. Difficult to do, but but they've but they've done it. So okay, so going back to the twelve month, right? So if we work backwards and say, okay, twenty twenty seven is the is D-Day, you know, without, without <laughs> too dramatic. <laughs> so if you want to compete with Amazon when it gets to D-Day, you've probably got to be competing with them for about two years prior to that. So so, so now we're looking at th- a three-year window. Mm-hmm. And if you look at, okay, by year three, you've got to be, you've got to, you've got to have a good technological retail media platform that touches both on-site, off-site, data, you know, maybe they're getting into your in-store merchandising as well because we see retail media is just not, we're at like the five percent end of the big, big iceberg that is that is retail media dollars. Mm. Like it, it takes about eighteen months to grow a good digital program like ours. That's after you've signed the contract, right? So let's forget yep. the six to twenty-seven months to sign a contract. The courting period. Yep, the the courting period. It, it does take about 18 months and that, that, that's a good retailer. So I know that sounds like a long time, particularly for us when I'm trying to sell our product here. You know, if I'm trying to sell you, I'm trying to say, hey, we'll get you up and running in five days. We can, but the reality is, is it takes a while for your merchandising team, your management team and your suppliers to all get in sync mm. about how this is changing the core fabric of the business. So, so when you distill it down then, so you've gone, okay, you need two years of solid competing. It takes about 18 months to actually build this program. Really only leaves you with sort of six to 12 months to, to, to sort of formulate your strategy. Mm. So what I meant by kind of calling the Australians in their 12-month window is not, hey, you got to go out and compete with Amazon by the 12-month mark. It's you need to start thinking about how you're going to compete with what is primarily a tech company with an ads business that is just selling product like yours. Yeah. So unless you're at least thinking like them and thinking about how to combat them, you are going to be in strife. And even though five years sounds like a long time, it will come around like that. Like it'd, mm. be, it'd, it'd be here tomorrow and you'd be like, oh, what happened? You know, 30% of my sales are gone. And maybe that's not a big number, but 30% is enough to erode all of your profit. So you're basically out of business again. Yeah. Not to mention the headwinds that we're going to run into this year with interest rates going up, product sales probably going down. We won't go there because we're trying to, Remain positive. What so, a time to be alive! Yeah, it's a great time. So, uh, it's a great time to sell a business too because you can't travel, you can't buy a car, and you can't buy a house. So it's like awesome. So well, I've picked my timing really well. Um, so little retailers have the choice to do right. They build something themselves. They they buy something or, or they partner with someone. Yeah. Um, because because they just like it's very very difficult to do themselves. You know, and if the likes of the Woolies and Coles and Target and Tesco. And Sainsbury's and Argos and Bed Bath Beyond, like the biggest retailers in the world, work with us. It's no shame in saying, well, actually, we need to partner with someone rather than try and do it ourselves. Because at the end of the day, there are about 50 different tech platforms you've got to worry about in the next five years. And this is just one of them. So you can't build them all. Mm. The reality is, no one's left to buy and build. Well, 
that's very dangerous. I wouldn't advise that because yes. uh, you're already five years behind. And if you are establishing it as a retail channel, you've got to invest somewhere because there's no product. There's nothing else. So you've got to, if you get the technology right and you get that up and running quickly, then that seems to be the natural yeah. place. So you've obviously painted a really compelling picture for what the future of retail media looks like over the next five years. Um, and great success mentioned some of those clients that you're working with. You cashed in last year with Publicist Group for over $200 million is what I read. What made you cash in at that point? Uh, wouldn't you realize that money isn't everything in life? <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of our investors certainly wanted the unicorn. Everyone wants, everyone does, right? Mm. It's, uh, when, when, when investors look at you in tech, they, they think you could just be like, Canva or you could be like Afterpay or like everybody else. But the reality is when you realize that you're a B2B enterprise level software system, it's a slow growth. You know, you Mm -hmm. kind of have, we had explosive growth for a while, but then it's a slow burn because the B2B enterprise level market is quite small. So our total addressable market is small. So big long deals I could imagine. Oh yeah. I mean, it took two, two and a half years to get the Australian guys on board. So, you know, but that's what it takes. Um, mm. But once you get them, the, the, the next ones become quicker. Yeah. But like health and family have to become priority again at some point. And, you know, we think of the acquisition more of like a relay race where we've just handed the baton on to Usain Bolt now. It's like, you know, <laughs> obviously every every founder wants to build a legacy and build a great company that becomes bigger and better. But at some point you have to go, well, are, are we the best jockeys? Mm. You know, are we the best guys to continue to ride this business? And, you know, there's more around the sort of founder sort of education. But what we realized about starting a business when you're a founder is timing is critical. You know, statistically, Silicon Valley say it's about 55% of your success success metrics timing. So if you get a great product too early, not going to make it too late, not going to make it. Mm-hmm. But what they don't talk about is the exit also being about timing and what I would call the chasm of death, which they talk about a lot in the first two years of a startup, there's a chasm of death when it comes to being acquired. So, you know, we kind of reached that. Well, I mean, this is just me talking. I'm happy to be corrected. But what you find is that a lot of founders don't build their business going, who's going to buy it? Mm. You know, they just go, we'll just build revenue, build customers, and someone will buy it, right? Or we'll IPO. <laughs> IPO, good luck with that. Should show <laughs> two years of your life gone. Hopefully, hopefully your stocks are still worthwhile by the time you're yes. sold because you're going to get escrowed anyway and you're going to get locked in. So what people don't talk about is the, is the chasm of death when it comes to actually selling your business. And what we quickly worked out was that kind of that zero to 250 million AUD mark, which is around a couple hundred million American, there are a lot of business that will take a risk on buying you and a punt, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously, those with big balance sheets. And then once you get over 200 million, there's this sort of chasm of death or, or, or no man's land where you're not quite big enough for Google to buy you yep. or, or Microsoft or Amazon or any of these big guys because what they want to buy, and again, I'm not their corporate development teams, but what I can assume is they want to buy established businesses that they don't have to babysit because they're too big and too important. And they, and they would rather cut a $5 billion check for a Magento that's a working established business. And put a sticker yes. over the top of it. Correct. Then rather than spend 300 to $500 million on a business that's still in its maybe fifth, sixth, seventh year, still got a bit of risk associated with it, because all it does is distract them mm. 
So it's not worth the destruction. So when you think about forget the money, it's all about distraction for a business because the first thing you do when you get acquired is you get integrated into their business. So, so how many resources do they need to put around your business to, to, to focus on making it a success? And so you end up with this, okay, do we, do we, do we keep going? And one, one answer is, okay, if you keep going, cool. Our revenues kept growing the way we said they would and our revenues are much more valuable now than when we got acquired. But revenue isn't always linear to the value of your business. Right. Because what happens is, is you have these windows where acquirers come and then those windows close. Because in retail media, we had a very cool product. You know, we've got saturation of a market in a very short period of time. Um, and we built kind of the, the flavor of the month, right? We were the flavor of the month. Retail media coming out of the back of COVID, it was like <laughs> cream on top of the cake. It was, it was yeah. like the, the place to be. But what we also realized from previous experiences is that buyers come and they go, okay, we need to buy something now. If they don't buy you, they'll buy something else or they'll build something else or they'll partner with someone else. But either way, their strategy keeps going. And so, you know, there's a lot of reasons why we, we sold, but when you distill it down into kind of three core components, one is we really liked the buyer. We thought that they would do great by our business and great by our clients and our staff. And we've had 100% retention of staff and clients since we got bought. So that, that's a pretty good thing, I guess, I guess. Yeah. So we were pretty happy with the decision that we made and kudos to publicists for making our lives easy. Mm. The second thing is, you know, don't be greedy. For us, that was enough. It was, it was, it was more than enough. And, and the third reason which I touched on is, is that there was simply no guarantee is that if we made our revenue a multiple that was worth 400 or 500 or 600 million that someone was going to come and pay that money because mm. not many businesses have a balance sheet where they can just go, here's $500 million for a business yeah. or 600 or 700. Whatever. There are very, very few businesses that can actually pay that sort of cash. And so, you know, there, so we made an educated decision to go, you know what? We can be selfish and try and double down and go for another five years trying to build this thing into a unicorn at the risk of blowing all of it because mm-hmm. we're competing against Google now, we're competing against Microsoft. You know, you may have heard of these companies. They're yeah. A little bit bigger than us, just a little, <laughs> a trillion in front of their market Doesn't, caps. They don't roll off the tongue like Citrus Ad uh, does. They, ex- exactly, exactly. Homegrown talent, mate. Brisbane place. <laughs> Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Come on, like, su- support the Aussie tech community. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, if nothing else, I'm going to go down the patriotic line. Um, but, it, but it is, it's, 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 you know, we looked at the headwinds of what could be. We're in the middle of COVID too. So we saw that COVID helped yeah. us a bit, but it also hindered us a bit. So we weren't willing to put investors' money on the line here and take a selfish risk on what could be. Yeah, yeah. It makes total um, sense. So that's, that's why we did it. You've given great insight there. Thank you for taking us on that journey because it's fascinating to see the decision-making process for a situation that many of us will never be in. So I think that's a very timely question. You mentioned there that money is... You know, you can be too greedy that money's not the answer to all problems. So my question to you is, what's next for yourself and for Citrus Ad? So Citrus will will continue to keep growing and we'll keep obviously expanding as quickly as we possibly can because we still know it's a race. We like to think we have not the best product. We have a great product, but we also have a good ethos around how we go about treating our retailers. So... A lot of ad tech companies that came into our space still operate on this publisher advertiser kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. 
whether they're retailers, it's just publishers. You know, you're just one place where we can place our ads. But ultimately, we work for the brand because they're the ones that give us the money. So we, we, we kind of like our kudos is like we put the retail in retail media. So we focus on the retail out, which yep. is a lot better, a lot stickier. So the company is obviously going to grow with a muscle of publicists. So it's a nice place to work. Like you've got the sort of startup mentality and flexibility and nimbleness and attitude, but you've got the balance sheet of a multinational public company that's probably one of the most successful businesses of the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. So, so, so it's a nice place to be right now, a good place to work, good, good partner to have. So, so the business will keep going. You know, for me, uh, my passion now is to distill the last 12 years, in particular the failures, uh, a significant amount of those. And, you know, start to work with the startup community a bit more about educating, being a coach, helping them, you know, sort of putting together a, I've already got a book with 10 chapters and a hundred bullet points in it about what not to do. And if you, you know, kind of each stage of the life of why you would need to raise capital and how you recruit and how you get your first customer and amazing you know, what smoke and mirrors you need and all that sort of stuff. So for me, my passion now is to sort of go back and see if I can help the, the founder community and, I was even sort of thinking about like what I would call the business or what slogan mm-hmm. I'd use, but it's a you know it's something came to me this morning, funnily enough, about turning unicorns into horses. <laughs> you, you, you can train a horse, but unicorns, you know, they're called unicorns for a reason, yeah. in it, because they're one in a well, they don't exist yeah, <laughs> technically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I, I think you'll bring incredible value to the um the founder and the startup ecosystem, and it's you know we're so lucky to have you. Um, sharing with us today that hour was just amazing hour to, to hear the story of what you've built and also the lessons you've learned along the way. So I can't imagine what it's like when it's packed into a book or a course or a coaching program. So really, well, really looking forward to bringing that. <laughs> Brad, if we've got retailers or brands listening to this today and wanting to know more about Citrus Ad, what's the best way for them to uh, get in touch and find out more? Well, I guess you've always got Google. We do by our own name. <laughs> Don't click on the sponsored links. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're we're, we're pretty well known in Australia now. A, a lot of retailers would know of us. I think the best thing for for me to say now is to like we've dealt with a lot of retailers in Australia. Probably a little bit ahead of them being ready and us being ready. Yeah. To be fair, like I don't I don't think we were ready for where they needed us to be. I think that we've come a long way in five years. So I would say the conversation we would have now would be very different to the one we would have sort of three, four years ago. But look, I mean, just have a conversation. Like we're, we're more than happy to, well, I'm more than happy to come visit every retailer and talk to them about retail media. And if nothing else, just talk to them about what we've seen from 95 other successful enterprise businesses across the yeah. globe, you know, and if retail media is not right for them right now, then that's fine. Um, if they decide to go down a different technology path, that's also fine. Like the good thing about me now, well, I shouldn't say this working for publicists, but <laughs> I'm a little unbiased, right? So yeah. obviously I want to see my company succeed, but I, I don't have to, like I don't go into every single meeting now as a, this is life or death. Yeah. <laughs> and as a founder, you definitely do when you're yeah. at a sort of, you know, pre-acquisition stage. But now, I'm happy to tell a retailer if we're the right solution for them or yeah. you know, we're the right people for them. But I can tell them it's so much more than just a tech, tech mm. partnership. A lot of our clients now, we end up building software development teams for. 
Yeah. So, you know, we will have a, a tech contract, which is ad serving, and then we'll have a services contract, which is basically help us solve a lot of our technical problems by, by building software for us. So, um, look, Citrus Ad, you know, go online, type it in. I'm sure you'll find me or it somewhere. Hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, happy to chat to anybody, anytime. Founder, starting your first business, whether you're a retailer with $10 worth of sales a month or... It's a very generous but dangerous proposition. It is, it is, but I'm happy to, I'm happy to, to do it. You know, of course, JB Hi-Fi and the rest of them, they say when I talk to, I'm happy to talk to those guys as well. Yeah. <laughs> Great stuff, Brad. Thank you for joining us no, today. No Thanks for having us. Like I said, I was lucky enough to meet Brad a few years ago, but obviously the world and the opportunity of media in retail has moved so quickly since then. And it was really great to hear where Citrus Ad and Brad are at now. Here are the three biggest takeaways that I took from that conversation. Number one, the power of that first row. I think we all inherently know it, but when Brad says that they see the first row of product on a category or a subcategory page result in 50 to 70% of the clicks and 85 to 90% of all sales come from the first page, that's a huge proportion when you hear it in those numbers. So even if you are not monetizing it through ad networks, you want to make sure that these rows are populated with product that is one, available and two, profitable. Number two, Amazon creep. Brad painted a detailed, if not a little grim, picture of Amazon in Australia. His prediction? Amazon is going to own 30% of the Australian retail market within five years. Now, whether they're a direct competitor to you or not, this will have an impact from where customers start their search to the shifting fulfillment expectations. So really great idea to get ahead of the game by differentiating your product and your brand right now. And the third one, exit timing. Brad spoke about the chasm of death for planning an exit from your business. And it sounds like he had this point mapped out a long time before he got to it. Not too small, not too big, enough to be able to hand it over to someone who can boost the growth. And the part I really loved, he knew when it was time to reprioritize health and family. Your business doesn't have to be you forever. If you don't have an exit strategy in your business, now's the time to start thinking about it. To get the highlights of today's episode, head on over to addtocart.com.au and sign up for our free newsletter. Each Tuesday, we will send Monday's episode summary, links, and discount codes for you to go next level on. And if you're looking to explore your next e-commerce opportunity, come and visit us at eSuite. We're a dedicated e-commerce talent agency connecting the best e-commerce talent with the fastest growing brands in Australia. Head on over to eSuiteTalent.com.au where you can download the free e-commerce salary guide and sign up to our weekly e-commerce job emails. Thanks for listening. And until next time, keep those customers adding to cart. All right, all right. I know you're probably sick of me banging on about it, but a really quick message to say that the 10-week e-commerce accelerator program kicks off on the 14th of March so soon. Registrations are still open and don't forget the discount code for Add to Cart listeners. Use the coupon code Add to Cart, all one word, to get $200 off your registration. Head on over to learn.esweettalent.com.au. That's learn.esweettalent.com.au to secure your place today. All right, I'm off to practice my teacher voice. I'll see you in there.